Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujan Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Swider Bundesliga podcast, your home for everything, match day reviews, news and everything in between. On today's episode, we'll be discussing all the action from match day 15, which was quite an interesting one on and off the field. We actually saw no draws. There were winners across the board. Positions 9 to 17 are now separated by just three points. And as we get closer to the World Cup, Boycott Qatar banners were situated in virtually every single stadium around Germany. It is quite clear the message. And one thing that is quite clear is that we only have two more match days left until we are on holiday. A two-month hiatus, which I'm sure some are looking forward to more than others. And I think I would be pairing in the same feelings as uh, the our teammates, co-hosts uh, of the podcast and Armenia Bielefeld fan, Eva Lotebola. Eva, good morning to you. It is a bit unusual that we are uh, we are recording on a Tuesday, but because it's an English week and the games start tonight, needs must. Yeah, I'm like in 12 hours, I'm going to be one, one small devastated uh, by everything my club does. Um, very looking forward. At least it's only like a 30 minute ride. So that helps. Um, or as Berlin says, come, going from one place to another in Berlin is the same as us going to Paderborn on our away match. So, well, um, I mean, I, I want to start off with uh, something that is not that funny and that really, really puts everything into perspective. Um, quick content warning for death here. So... In the Braunschweig food game, um, when you watch that game, you probably noticed that there was no support in the first 50 minutes or so. That's what was because a fan was injured and um, sadly he was brought to the hospital, but sadly he died. Um, so I and I think we want to, yeah give our full, full condolences to everyone surrounding that person. Um, and yeah, I think there are no, no words to describe that kind of loss. And uh, yeah, and everyone at Braunschweig um, and the Braunschweig football family and stuff, uh, all our condolences. Um, yeah. And um, that was a good reaction by both Fen sides to I think this is this always shows how football can bring people together that as soon as you notice okay something is right here that support is being cancelled and that was by both fan sides so um yeah that was uh I think it's always very powerful um but yeah nevertheless um all the best for the family although that sounds a bit weird but yeah I wanted to get that off yeah, I mean, it can always be misconstrued that football has a bad name, you know, and it's quite interesting that the sense of community that is within the sport itself, not only at a 
global but at a you know a local level as well and um, it is quite obviously a difficult thing to talk about um, when these situations unfortunately come to pass but um yeah we do wish uh, the family um, all the best as again it's really hard to talk about it so we'll we'll move on um, to the action obviously nine games on match day 15 and this was a fascinating match day for many reasons some would rather like to forget that and and I think we'll start with the team that's currently situated at the foot of the table and that's Armenia Bielefeld who lost further ground on the teams around them with their 3-2 defeat at home to Kaiserslautern and a big reason as to why they went down in this game was the sending off of Brian Lasma a minute before Halftime, he received a second yellow for a dangerous play on Boris Tomiak. Um, if I'm correct in saying that because it was a yellow card offence, the video assistant referee can't take a look at it. Um, but from the angles that they showed, that seemed like a as high of the boot as it was, it seemed to be a mistake because there is next to no contact with Tomiak and he's absolutely flopped to the ground like a fish out of water. It was pretty disappointing that... The lack of contact and, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be people that disagree with me, but from all the angles that Sky showed during halftime and for whatever halftime they had um, and what they were showing during the broadcast, it didn't seem like there was enough contact. But despite this, the 10 men of Bielefeld had control of the game. Uh, Kaiser Sutton really struggled to really make any inroads. Bielefeld looked great coming out of the break. Um, but inevitably they would concede. That's just the unfortunate part about it is that, and this happens a lot in the in the Swider Bundesliga where the team that has the control, it just takes one attack and goal. Um, Kenny Prince Redondo laying the ball back to Philip Clement. Clement's one-time shot beating Martin Fries and it was 1-0. And then one turned into two just three minutes later when Aaron Apoku, who made his first start for Kaiserslautern this season, he puts it in the back of the net. And at 2-0, it's... Um, Let's say Kaiserslautern fans would have easily had the champagne off the ice and pouring it into the glasses, which would be understandable. However, Bielefeld really started to fight back then because just three minutes after that, uh, Masai Okugawa intercepts Robert Boardman's pass. He penetrates uh, going forward, then finds Robin Huck on the hour mark. Huck with a simple finish to make it 1-2 and you can put the champagne back in the bottle. Then it really started to turn up because 14 minutes later on 74 minutes, Bielefeld would have a penalty. Redondo, who made the assist for the opening goal, he was at fault. In his attempt to clear the ball, Lucas Klunter was able to get to the position first. And instead of getting the ball, he got Klunter and uh, very much kicked him quite good. Penalty given by Patrick Oltz, who didn't have a great game, but that was one of his right decisions that he would make in this one. Robin Hack uh, made it 2-2, so the champagne is firmly back on the ice. Despite this, it wasn't enough for Bielefeld because on 88 minutes, substitute Daniel Hanslick, the hero for Kaiserslautern to get them back into the Spider Bundesliga, he would score just two minutes before normal time and they could repop that champagne once again. It means that Kaiserslautern get back to winning ways, keeps them in the top half of the standings, which is very important. Seventh place at the moment. They've won two of their last three games. Bielefeld bottom, now four... Points adrift of 17th place. Nuremberg has four defeats in their last five. Either this game 
didn't the scoreboard doesn't represent it and we talk we can always talk about the statistics we can talk about how Bielefeld had the better chances which is factually correct but ultimately in the end you know Bielefeld had to play an entire half with 10 men despite how well they played they were just unable to hold up and I mean the thing is um a couple of things I want to talk about first of all um, so I spoke with Petra about this, who was on our podcast in the past talking about all, all stuff refereeing. Um, and I was like, okay, if it, she was like, um, only because he doesn't hit the person, dangerous play doesn't always mean you have to hit a person. Mm. And then it's always, apparently that always means a yellow card. I can get behind that, but once again, it has to be executed throughout the game mm. and that wasn't the case like there were a couple of times where actually both teams were kind of were kind of involved in dangerous play and it didn't always meant a yellow card like i mean terence boyd who is actually kind of like the equivalent to last man away that he's also a forward player so um like you always look at this a bit differently um never got a yellow card mm. and i think this is what about this really pains me because the first yellow card for lastman was intercepting a counter attack for kaiserslautern which like i think experts are still not very clear about whether this is always a yellow card sometimes it is sometimes it isn't there was some state sorry uh rule change that intercepting a counter attack doesn't always mean a yellow card um, so this is I think this is always what we struggle with as a fan that if you see that especially in the stadium you don't really understand um, and Patrick I didn't have a good game like there was also the the I mean maybe Bielefeld would have lost nevertheless but the free kick before the 3-2 wasn't a free kick like if you, in my opinion, if you blow the whistle on that, it's going to be the other direction because I don't get where this would have been a foul by Okugawa. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's always difficult talking about this. I mean, I would agree. Bielefeld looked a bit better with 10 men. That was, was partly the reason because Lasma um, didn't really look comfortable in this game. Uh, it also meant that Okugawa could really fulfill both those roles and wasn't really positioned to one place in those three behind Serra. Talking about Serra, huge, huge difference when he's in, especially with having Okugawa right behind him. Uh, they looked like a good combo then with Hack um, better. And obviously the game got better for Bielefeld when Manuel Prito was substituted. I'm very sorry, but look at the 2-0. He just gives everyone around him passage especially a poku uh this is not how you can defend uh in the Tsarte Liga, especially not that it got way better when the Pinita was subbed in i do hope he's going to play tonight against paderborn um because like just how he reacts on the pitch is much more mature um probably gonna see andrade and ramos again in the back four um but yeah, and I mean, it was actually one of the better performances had uh, Bielefeld had. I mean, this was the first time that after we went down, um, or the, the opponents scored, we actually looked like 
we could get back like after we scored the the after we got one back that there was a possibility there were so many times where we even draw the like scored the equalizer and it didn't look like it's gonna hold um yeah for Kaiserslautern they really focused on two or three moments and that's what like this is what what a difference can make where you're coming from before a game like this um and yeah i mean in the end also want to quickly touch on marlon ritter um who was obviously involved in the whole last month thing and i don't know in my opinion if first of all demanding a yellow card for another player is something i will never get cease to understand um and for some referees it means that you get a yellow card because it's um like uh not really sportsmanship kind of behavior i think this is what they call um and he kept doing that even after last one was sent off he just like walked beside him and should talk to him and like grinned at him and i think that's like a very unnecessary thing to do let's say like this uh Bielefeld will also be without Samia Ravi tonight apparently because um he did not have nice words for Patrick Alt mm. as did the whole stadium <laughs> um mm. yeah I mean in the end we have two games coming up that at this point I don't expect us to win um and yeah it's it's going to be very difficult I just quickly want to say people are already saying we're definitely going to get relegated. Would tend to agree if we didn't have two and a half months of a break. Mm. I, I said this before and I'm saying this again. Bundesliga and Zweite Liga do not like focus too much on what it says. Now, it obviously can change. It cannot change, but we've seen in the past that it's not completely unusual that something can change. Um, and we've we've seen with clubs having already tendency if they might improve or not. And shortly before the break, they seem like they're falling down again. So, like, I know it would be very naive not thinking that it could happen, that we could get relegated to the Dritte Liga, but once again, I'm saying this, we managed before not to get relegated uh, or look at, like, for example, St. Pauli as well, um, and there wasn't that kind of a break between, mm. uh, like, both both parts of the season. Um, but, yeah, the, the winter break will be very vital for a lot of teams uh, in, in, like, either part of the table. Um, because you like we said this before, you basically have to restart a new season, and how you start into that, uh, it's going to be very vital. Um, for Kaiserslautern, I mean, we know that they're always able to do this, even in games where they're not better, that they can score a late winner. Um, yeah, if I still don't know about them, like I thought it was a bit worrying on how they gave the game away. Um, mm after the 2-0 um, with more, one man more it's like they didn't really play on Bielefeld's weaknesses that much uh, they could have done that and they had too many mistakes in their own better play 
they were put like there was a lot of pressure on the build-up play and they made mistakes and uh, already in the first half and this is how the first goal for Bielefeld was actually as you've mentioned came along so yeah I was a bit surprised that they at, at some point didn't really stop that um, but yeah I think that's enough what we said about this um, and I think we can move on yeah I think for Kaiserslautern the reason as to why it seemed like they gave the game away is the numbers suggest that well they're not a very high possession based team statistically they're second you know second to bottom you know just over 40% so they don't really like to dictate the game and by having what is the competitive advantage not only on the scoreboard but in terms of players on the pitch actually it's not something that that they're designed to do their team doesn't know how to do it and as we saw after going 2-0 up they didn't really know what they were doing and that's where Bielefeld who also aren't even in the top half in possession over or you know having the ball throughout the season um they just didn't know what to do and Bielefeld who have still some competency in possession were able to actually force mistakes it was good counter pressing for the for the open, for the hack first goal and then they were able to get into really dangerous areas so um actually going to to actually help Kaiserslautern reset and play the way they wanted to play and they got the three points both teams are playing tonight Abila felt a 30 minutes down the road at Paderborn Kaiserslautern also a short journey they are at home the shortest of journeys they're a home game uh, they've got Karlsruhe then they've got Dusseldorf away on Friday night that will end their campaign whereas of course Bielefeld have Magdeburg on Sunday now let's move to the Volkspark Stadion it was Hamburger SV against Jan Regensburg this was a game that was anticipated with a lot of interest purely because Hamburg's recent run of home form had been quite poor could they turn it around well in in the early stages the answer was no um, they gave up the opening goal just eight minutes into the game. Joshua Mies with a very intelligent ball to find Khan, Kalis Kana, and uh, Kalis Kana all too familiar at finding the back of the net. Third goal of the season and 1-0 for the end, but um, that was shortly lived because just four minutes later, one of the many goal of the season contenders uh, came about. It was uh, a misplaced pass, ironically, from Sonny Kittle and centre-back. Mario Vushkovic with an absolute curling pile driver to beat Torsten Kirschbaum. Kirschbaum was in goal for the injured Stojanovic. So at 1-1, and that's how it would stay at the break. A couple of chances, better chances were for Regensburg. Andreas Albers forced this unbelievable save from Daniel Hoyer Fernandez. There was a lot of conjecture whether it might have been a goal. Of course, there is no goal line technology in the Svater Bundesliga. They went with VAR. So they, they can't afford to... A lot of the clubs in the second tier can't afford to have both. So they go with the video assistant referee, which is a lot cheaper financially. So yeah, that was really good. And then Kallis kind of almost doubled it shortly after that, but no dice. Um, Jan got off to a terrible start in the second half. They gave away a penalty. Sonny Kittle was fouled. Initially not given, but with the check of the video assistant referee, Sasha Stegeman overturned his original decision and a penalty was given. One thing that has become very interesting about Hamburg is that there's one player who should stop taking penalties, and that's Robert Glatzel. He was going at less than, well, just over 50% heading into this one. Um, he's only converted eight of his 12 chances heading to this one. Would it be any different? No, he wouldn't be. 
Kirschbaum made a really good save on the, on the, on this one. Uh, he's now eight of thirteen. That's sixty one and a half percent. The expected goal percentage. Uh, you know the the the, sta- the traditional percentage of penalties scored is seventy seven percent. So he should probably stop taking those penalties. I'd let Benish take them. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Benish, he was unbelievably good in this game. Him and Ludovic Rice were on another level, and they both showed why they are arguably too good for this league, and that they, if they're not on a Bundesliga team next season, I'd be very disappointed, even though Rice extended his contract until 2026 on Monday. It's Benish who finds Ransford Jabal Konigsdorfer, who was playing as a right-back um, on the weekend, and he did a quite a good job. They, were, they gave him a lot of license to go forward, and um, he was very dangerous, so he gets the goal on 78 minutes to break the tie, and then Glatzel gets a deflected effort that beats Kirschbaum on 90 minutes, and they just score 3-1. Hamburg, more importantly, keep in touch with the team called Darmstadt, who we'll talk about next. Jan, it was a disappointing loss for them, but it's uh, they're not in the worst position. They're the leading pack of teams that are chasing to get away from the bottom three. Uh even this was quite interesting in the fact that this was it had all the hallmarks of a relatively traditional Hamburg game. Tons of shots, tons of possession. Uh, they had real trouble. Kirschbaum was brilliant in this game, and his save percentage doesn't really justify how good he was. He had a lot to deal with throughout the game. Um, but eventually, for the first time in, in probably a while, you could say at home that their talent was too good to, to not overcome the, uh, the challenges that Jan threw at them. Yeah, and I mean, you you got to say, especially in the second half, um, what Regensburg offered, both defensively and offensively, was quite poor, and they couldn't really hold on to that, especially with Benish, obviously, as you've mentioned. They had a lot of problems. You would let Benish take the shot. I would actually let Reis take the shot uh, for the penalty. Um it's pretty clear for me that neither Glatzel nor Kittel should have done that. Like I, I knew Glatzel stepped up. I was like, yeah, not gonna. It's not gonna work. <laughs> this is not gonna work. Um, yeah, I didn't really understand that. Uh, in either way, why you would let him do that? Mm. Um, you once again have to say, um, that Hoyer Fernandez was was amazing, especially in the first half. Really like kept them in the game and I mean we said this before Mario Wiskovic already a very very good defender and uh, like he can make the difference even up front Um, it's always very surprising because you expect off defenders that it's going to be like a header or something like that after his set piece but actually that shot was um, yeah was beautiful Um, yeah and for Regensburg I think you can really see the difference with them now and like a couple of years ago against Hamburg that they do not really have that surprise element anymore against teams like Hamburg, um, especially. And I think this is what we kept saying, that Hamburg needs some sort of stability, continuity, and they have that in a coach that already played Regensburg and played Selabegovic last year. So you have more of a learning than having a new coach each year um, where the players might know what the, the opponent brings to the table, but the coach 
does not or especially not with that team um yeah i think uh in the end especially in that second half you could really see what what hamburg can do although it took a long long time for them to score the goal but uh yeah it, it always looked like they're going to be a bit more comfortable with a win te- win here and uh, yeah as mentioned before Regensburg then really help with that a bit, especially for the second goal. I mean, they gave Benish and Königsdorfer and Reis way too much space throughout the game, and I thought that was a mistake by Selenbegovic as well, not really reacting to that, because you could really see that um, throughout that, that second half that Regensburg had problems with that, and you couldn't really see a reaction to that. Um well, I mean, it wasn't setting Begovic on the sidelines, uh, so I apologize for that. But um, his assistant, um, too many games in two, <laughs> two like less in, in just a couple of days. Um, so yeah, obviously his assistant, but still, I mean, they work together, so they probably should have had a match plan for this, and it didn't really look like they had one. Yeah, I mean. You'd probably be surprised if you saw Konigsdorfer lining up at right back. It doesn't happen often. It didn't really happen at Dresden. And that is kind of a different... That that was definitely a short-term solution for Volta because he's still waiting for Moritz High to come back. And that's probably not going to happen this season or this year. Um, and that's definitely something they might look at in the window is, is to look at another right back. I don't know what they'll do, but we'll see. Um but it seemed to work for them because um, obviously they play quite a high line. They like to be very, um, you know, keep the ball in their own offensive half. And you look at the two goals they scored, they came off turnovers, really bad turnovers. The second goal you mentioned came from some, uh, I can't remember who it was, trying to make a backheel pass. In Why you would do that in your defensive half, I don't know. Um, but then he picked, I mean, he picked out Benish, like, in the front of, on the laces, it was a perfect pass just to the wrong team, and then Benish so good um, to find to find Konigsdorfer. So yeah, I mean, this was probably the result we were expecting a Hamburg win. We know they've had troubles at home this season, and you know they were able to overcome themselves. I think at, in home games, Hamburg are their own worst enemies, and they were able to get a result. Uh, their last two games, Grotefurt away. That is on Wednesday. That is on that is a World Feed game. Um, so check your local listings if that is there. And they've got Sandhausen on Saturday. Whereas Regensburg, they are at home to Eintracht Braunschweig. <laughs> Long journey for the Braunschweig fans. And they are then away at Heidenheim on Saturday. And that ends their 2022. Let's head... To the league leaders, Darmstadt, they hosted Hanover on Friday night in front of just under 15,500. This game was, well, it, to be honest, it, it ended when Hanover went down to 10 men. But before that, they did have arguably the best chance of the first half. Um, Harvin Nielsen came close, was played in on goal, probably should have done a bit better. Good save from Marcel Schuen. On 24 minutes, Darmstadt thought they had scored through Tobias Kemper and what a goal it would have been. However, Philip Tietz was offside in the build-up. Correct decision by the linesman. Kudos to them. But the big moment of the game came on 29 minutes when Yannick Muller's effort on goal was saved 
by Phil Neumann, but the problem is he used his hand and it's a clear denial of a goal scoring opportunity or goal. It would have been probably a goal. So straight red card for Neumann and Hanover down to 10 men. There were a few red cards in this, this match day. It was just, yeah, there's some naughty people. Anyway, up steps Tobias Kemper, who's very reliable from the penalty spot. Certainly someone you could trust from a spot kick. But his penalty was saved as well. And this was also a world-class save from Ron Roberts-Ealer, who is also attracting attention from Liverpool. What's happening? This is It's like 2013 all over again. When, when he was very sought after, it was a cracking save and he was outstanding in this game. Um, he did all he could, but it wasn't going to be enough because on 62 minutes, it would take a bit of genius to break the deadlock. Uh, as the clearance for the corner came out, Marvin Malem, with an outstanding volley, puts the ball to the back of the net. Zila, all but a passenger really for that one. And that was your scoreline, a goal to nil. Darmstadt have guaranteed that they would at least finish in the top two for the second consecutive season heading into the winter break. Hanover, on the other hand, well, they stay in sixth. Oh, sorry, they drop down to sixth after results elsewhere. But they are, more importantly, they are six points clear from ninth, and that's scrap for the bottom places. But they are still only three points behind Heidenheim, for a promotional playoff spot. This game was very, very uh, almost self-determined in the end by the red card to Noman. And yeah, you can tell that Hanover really struggled to generate anything. Unlike Bielefeld, on the other hand, who were able to do so. But I guess circumstances were a little bit different going forward. Yeah, I mean, you really have to say that like Darmstadt really dominated this game. And that like... Hanover just didn't do a lot throughout the game anyway, so that it was um, yeah very difficult for for Hanover to break through. I mean, Lieberknecht also changed to uh, a four in the back, and you could really see that Hanover like really didn't expect that and had problems breaking through. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, as mentioned, Hanover didn't really have chances before like that one chance by Nielsen, but they didn't really look like they're going to have the upper hand. Darmstadt looked like more alive from the first minute on. And it was really, really only a, a matter of time until Darmstadt is going to score. And then we, we sat this before nothing is worse for, for a game in a way, like neutral speaking, if Darmstadt scores. And um, although Hanover had a couple of, of chances after the goal, but they all didn't really look that. Like there was this one chance by Vida, and I think that Shun saves. So you had two goal- good goalkeepers. That has to be said as well. Focus is really on Sela on that game, but Shun was there when needed as well. Um, and uh, yeah, all in all, it was just a very concentrated defensive effort by Darmstadt that also, yeah secured this those uh three points although you really got to say that we we've seen Darmstadt in the past being very wasteful with their chances um and I mean those this is one of the games where you might wonder whether um because this was also very different it's also very different if you lose one of your uh defending players due to a red card than offensively because sometimes that can help but defensively it always means um yeah a lot of restructuring and yeah, that that 
didn't work well. So, yeah, a lot of stupid mistakes by, by Hanover throughout the game. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that's why I thought it was only a matter of time. I, I am, in a way, looking forward to the next two games um, Hanover plays. They're going to be very difficult, mm-hmm. but in very different ways. I mean, they're playing at home against Fortuna Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf can win at home and away from home now. It's amazing. Uh, they, so they're in a very, very good form. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about them at the start of Group 2. Um, so that's going to be difficult, especially with yeah, Phil Neumann missing at least that game. Um, and then you have the game against Holstein Kiel in Kiel. And I mean... Probably two months ago, I would have said very different stuff mm. about this match. But now, like, it's, this can go very, very wrong for Hanover. Uh, like, they could lose all three games before the winter break. Because at this stage, like, Kiel is offensively, I would say, even more difficult for Hanover to play against than Dusseldorf at that stage. So don't want to be them like I'm already me so that's difficult enough but I don't want to be them as well um but yeah I mean you, you gotta hand it to to Darmstadt although we spoke about them not using their chances like they should have probably I mean once again four shots on target out of 22 shots on goal is not a good rate let's just say it like that because there will be games where they you're not gonna win this because of your percentage of 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 chances or shots that are actually going on target. But they managed to win this, which had again a lot to do with Hanover not really being up for the task. Yeah, I mean going down a man and having to play sixty plus minutes down a ten, I think it wasn't too um too difficult for them. They I think they reverted to a four at the back. Which you know they can do because they they had Kern and um and Maroya playing as the right midfielders, um, so that was obviously something they were going to have to tactically switch. No, they just subbed on Yannick Team. Um, so that's something that you know you looked at what they were doing and they obviously preferred to to match up, which is what they did tactically. Um, but you know ultimately, yeah, the just the individual errors were costly. They, they were really bad in the first half um, at generating chances. The Nielsen one was the first of note. So, um, But yeah, I, I think they were quite fortunate in a way that they didn't lose by a lot more, but that a lot had to do with you know Darmstadt having 18 shots off target. And, you know, it's hard to... You know, we, we, we rightfully criticised Hamburg for, for doing that on a, on a, you know, fortnightly basis at home. Um, but yeah, that's not good enough. They should, they should have beaten Hanover by a lot more, but... You know they'll take the three points regardless, and that their extended winter break is looking a lot more brighter. However, as we know, can they replicate that after the break? They've got Magdeburg uh, on Wednesday, and then oh sorry, on Thursday. That's a late kickoff game. It's the only game uh, in the Swider Builders League on Thursday, and then they've got Fürth at home uh, to end their campaign. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we'll discuss our Group 2 games, and we're going to start at the Spiel Arena when Fortuna Dusseldorf hosted St. Pauli. 
Dusseldorf were hoping to make it three wins on the bounce when they returned home against St. Pauli. St. Pauli had been in a bit of rotten form. One win in their last five meant that they could be staring at a bottom three place at the end of the match day. Well, the best chance early on fell to Fortuna. Well, actually, it fell to Jackson Irvine, who has been masquerading as St. Pauli's best offensive player. His effort forced a really good save from Flory Kastemeyer. Kastemeyer was outstanding. It was a very good weekend for the goalkeepers' union until we get to a couple of games late in the piece where some goalkeepers made some pretty harrowing mistakes. But Kastemeyer was very good in this game and he would eventually keep a clean sheet. The goal, the one and only goal, came 22 minutes in. It was a route one ball from Kastemeyer, headed on from Kovnatsky. No one was near Reuven Hennings and his first time shot beat Nikolai Vasil at his near post. One that I'm sure... Ukrainian, uh, the Bosnian would love to have back. Henning, Hennings probably should have doubled the advantage just five minutes before uh, the end of the first half. Uh, similar situation, one-on-one with the goalkeeper, but it was a weak effort and Vasil was easy to claim. Another team that went down to 10 men was St. Pauli. And it happened on 58 minutes when Betim Fazili headbutted David Kovnatsky. Uh, and he was given a straight red card from referee Frank Willenborg. And yeah, they came relatively close. They were knocking on the door St. Pauli. They ironically looked a little bit better when they went down to 10 men. But again, not enough to find a winning goal or an equalizing goal. And thus another defeat for St. Pauli. They now find themselves in 16th place. Only their goal difference is keeping them above Nuremberg, who currently sit in the automatic relegation spot. It's kind of it's kind of starting to feel very familiar to a couple of seasons ago when St. Pauli were otherwise known as the Nearly Men, a team that would, you know, produce relatively solid performances, but would never cherish the glory of actually winning the games. And um, this one was no different for mine anyway. They had a few chances, albeit not high quality. I think the Irvine chance was arguably their best of the game. Um, But again, another result where they've really got nothing to show for having arguably more control of the game than their opponents. Yeah, but I mean, the thing was, uh, Timo Schoenitz said in a press conference before the game, like he's not going to talk about... um, offensive players of the upcoming opponent anymore uh, when it was asked about Henning uh, because it didn't didn't bring them any luck until now. Well, I mean, obviously it was Henning scoring that goal. Um, I mean, about St. Pauli, I mean, you, you had a very good, like, as you've mentioned before, good goalkeeping in this game. But St. Pauli, because we know that they just have big, big problems with taking or scoring goals just in general um after the 1-0 for Fortuna they just already looked not that comfortable I think it's always a bit different for them away from home and at home like just from if you compare the the Darmstadt game and the uh, the Düsseldorf game I think very different how the the game continued to go on 
Um, I think it also says a bit more about Düsseldorf than like uh, Düsseldorf and Darmstadt than about St. Pauli as well, just on how Düsseldorf just know what to do. We said this before. Normally they know what to do at home as soon as they score a goal. Um, probably could have had a second one as well. Um, but because you you could see a bit that putting Hennings in Kovnatsky together maybe didn't really have the effect for the total uh, yeah, duration of the game as it could have. Like, I'm still, I think, a bit a better fan of having them come off, uh, come on for each other, although obviously Kovnansky was responsible, or I think he gave the assist, right? Because he won yeah, the dual midfield against Shikala. Um, but still, I think... it then whatever you bring on it's not that like they don't work together that well so for the next game i would be more of a fan if they do not play together but that's just my personal opinion because i think it takes like the individual creativity away from especially kovnatsky uh, because everyone's focus is on hennings and that game is yeah. Uh but yeah, so got resolved for Dusseldorf. Um they they start to prove us right, saying that they they could be a team who does uh challenge the current teams for promotion. Um yeah, and I think yeah, for Zang Pauli, everything you've just mentioned I would totally agree. I think it's very, very clear where they need addition to the squad. Um, and once again, I do hope that against Kiel, we see Metcalf starting. It could be a chance with, uh, the English week with midweek fixtures, um, because I think he, uh, he's too good for a substitution player in, in my opinion. Yeah. He's also good enough to be in the world cup squad, but, uh, Old Arnie loves his boys club and he'll pick his mates and yeah, it's not really a great feeling. It's a shame for him because he's been actually good when he's been able to play and he had a very good um, you know, season with Melbourne City, hence why St. Pauli came calling. So you'd like to see more opportunity. Their problems are kind of everywhere. I mean, defensively, they've got a lot of injuries. They're still missing David Nemetz. Um, you know, they playing a back three in, in kind of a way of protecting themselves. But, um, you know, Eric Smith is a, is a defensive midfielder who's playing as a makeshift centre-back. And, you know, he's doing the best he can, but that's not a long-term viable option. So, yeah, look, and obviously we, we, we don't want to harp on about it, but at the start of the season we had our concerns, and rightfully so, about the attack, very young inexperienced and they hadn't proven all of them hadn't proven to be frequent goal scorers and that's proven to be in the case they've scored 19 goals which isn't the worst in the league by any stretch but um you know they're very reliant on others to really bolster the load there's a lot of sharing of the goals but you'd love to see a striker really take ownership of that and they don't have one that can really own it consistently so yeah, not good. Um, Dusseldorf, 
it's good to be proven right sometimes. It's rare, but, you know, it's nice. It was interesting to see that they put Karbovnik in midfield. They had a Yor playing as more of a wider in the, in, in the Karbovnik role as a left, you know, wing-back midfielder. Um, and I thought a Yor was quite dangerous, along with Patterson out wide. It, it probably limited what Karbovnik does, but I guess... You know, Ayoa might be a little bit more of a two-way player. I thought Hendricks is good. With Yorick Hendricks, the Dutchman, was really good in midfield. And, you know, he gave gave his teammates a lot of opportunities. So I thought he had a really good game as well. So, yeah, Fortuna, uh, as we've mentioned, they've got Hanover tonight. Yep, tonight. And then they're away at Kaiserslautern on Friday night. Uh, good. So that will end the three games in six days for them. Good test for them, really. Um, they could... They could really close the gap with with Heidenheim, but they'll be hoping results go their way to close it towards Hamburg and Darmstadt. But you know, they will definitely have the confidence that they can win both those games. St. Pauli, Kiel tonight as well. That is a World Feed game. If you're watching it in Australia by chance, uh, it is on BN Sports. So it is on the main channel. It's on KO as well, so you can watch it. Then they're at Karlsruhe away. That is going to be a big game. Uh, to end their 2022 campaign. We spoke about Heidenheim, and we've spoken about Paderborn briefly. These two teams went head-to-head on match day 15 at the Voigt Arena in front of just under 9,500. This game was not a contest. It was surprising in many ways that Paderborn was so bad, but then again, it probably wasn't because we know Heidenheim are so good at home. And one player in particular who just continues to impress is Jan Nicholas Bester. I will save the Bester jokes for maybe the end of the season. But uh, he scored twice in this game. He scored on 35 minutes uh, when uh, Kevin Sessa played him through. And then he did the, all the work on his own for the third goal. Dennis Tamala got a the second goal. Adrian Beck's cross finding Tamala. His effort hit the crossbar. And then it hit Leopold Zingler. And Zingler, as you can see, panicking, trying to clear the ball. Uh, but the ball was bundled into the back of the net. One thing that was clear in this game was that Heidenheim were brilliant defensively in this game, keeping Paderborn to just six shots for the entirety of the game. Not a single one on target. This is why in the notes, Kevin Muller has a non-applicable percentage, save percentage, because he did not make a save in the game. The result is crucial. Heidenheim leapfrog Paderborn into third. Paderborn down to fourth. They are now two, a point behind they are now two consecutive defeats for Lucas Krasniak's side as they welcome Bielefeld tonight. So let's digress. There were some interesting quotes from the game, especially from Lucas Krasniak. The one that really stands out to me is, we're not a top team after losing to Heidenheim and Hamburg. Is he right? Because I think the Hamburg one, they, you know, they were in it. They were in that game. This one, they were not. They were, they were still in Paderborn, I think. And they, the, the bus didn't leave the stadium because they they didn't affect any part of the game. They could have had us playing in midfield. That's how um that's how ordinary they were, and it was quite surprising that they didn't bring much more to the table. Well, I think um, I would agree, but at the same time disagree, mm-hmm. um, because in a way it does not surprise me that they lose a game like this. Hmm. Um. Because, I mean, it, first of all, it was a very, very difficult coming back in Heidenheim when we know how physical they can play, um, how especially, I mean, this is 
I, I was surprised. I, I'm still surprised because I didn't see Heidenheim that high up in the table. Um, like happily admit I was wrong because I probably didn't imagine what impact Bester and Beck could have on their team. Um, I think nobody of us could could have really, yeah, imagined this would happen that way. Just mm. going to say that. I think who thought Bester is going to be one of the best uh High nine players when like the focus was on on Kleindienst. Um, yeah, yeah, you. It's okay. Um, it, it's the thing. Um, but at the same time, um, it's just I think that they still have to learn that this Kwasniok squad still has to learn from their mistakes. And I do think once again this could really happen. Towards the second half of the table, uh, table oh, season. Holy shit! Sorry. Um, Good fun. And I mean, at the same time, I mean, we in the in the past we compared that Kvasniok Paderborn to the Baumgart Paderborn, and this happened as well. Like that, they had games like this where because we know that defensively, they had their bad moments, um, and I mean, you couldn't really, really like. I was feeling very, very sorry for Tsingala because he couldn't do against anything, like any of those goals. It wasn't his mistake uh, that happened before him. Um, and it was just very naive defending. And that's what's more surprised me. Um, but I still don't think that this is what defines a top team. I mean, at the same time, it would mean that because, for example, Bielefeld drew in Heidenheim, that would define a top team. It's not like that. It has a lot to do with uh like uh current performances um day performance and heidenheim is just in a very very good mood at the moment and potterborn coming off that defeat um to has as well it's just uh something it's difficult i think it's more important sometimes it's more important how they now play against bielefeld in nuremberg mm. um this is where they have to say where they're at and if they would lose i mean i i would take it uh those two games this is more where i would come back to that statement uh because sometimes being a top team is not about if you could manage or if you manage to win against the teams with you up front but whether you manage to win against teams where you're the clear uh favorite to win it um and i think this is what what paderborn has to do um yeah and i mean they they still have a lot of potential i think they just have to get around that and i think sometimes they were surprised on their own performances as well and sometimes we might if we might look back at, at that especially that paddleball and kia game i think for both clubs this was um a game where we might put too much focus on like what what they could do um and that's why no I mean, we will we will see how both teams come out of that break, like with every other team as well. Uh, but yeah, especially, I, I mean, the same goes for Heidenheim though, um, with how they play against Sandhausen and Regensburg. I mean, they play at Sandhausen. Gonna be a tri- it's gonna be a tricky game for them as well. Uh, Similar still a bit to the Regensburg game, but you play two two sides who are in the bottom half of the table, similar to Paderborn. And I would say this is what really defines whether they're a top team. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. you got to beat the teams that you should beat. And Heidenheim have been guilty of this where they've um, struggled to beat teams away from home that they should absolutely wallop. And, you know, they play two sides that are, you know, only separated by a couple of points in the standings in the fight for the relegation zone. And they should beat both of these teams. They should be able to impact the gap towards Hamburg and Darmstadt, assuming they don't take maximum points. So, in that regard, they should do they should do it. But yeah, I was mightily impressed with them defensively. They they really the one thing that that Paderborn does very well is with Julian Justvan as a sort of creative um, wing back midfielder where. Um, he does a lot of the sort of the creating chances with key passes and they shut him out of the game and he's really one of their main distributors towards the front two of that Piringer and Platter up top. So yeah, they, you know, there's, you know, they, they really put in the work and they were able to get rewarded. They were very, very good in this game and worthy of their three points. We've spoken about Kiel offhandedly in a few groups and games and we're going to talk about their their actual game when they went to Karlsruhe on the weekend. Karlsruhe had lost three on the bounce and they were in desperate need of overturning this. They could not have got off to a worse start. This is, I'm not going to blame Marius Gersbeck for this because that would be wrong. Tim Breithaupt tried to make the right play which was to play to the keeper but his pass was a little bit to the right. And the ball trickled into the back of the net. It was uh, that was just a bad moment in general, um, and it didn't improve the mood because just 15 minutes after that, Quasi Reet doubled their advantage. It was Steven Skripsky playing the ball into the box. Reet makes an excellent turn and then puts the trickles the ball into the back of the net. Kiel made it three on 67 minutes through Fabian Reza. Uh, again, Karlsruhe not able to clear their lines and Reza shot from outside the box, beating Gersbeck at his near post. They did get a goal back on 72 minutes through Simona Rapp, but it meant nothing because the three-goal advantage was restored in stoppage time when Jan Fieter Arp found Kvazi Reet once again. And that is your scoreline. Kiel 4, Karlsruhe one, what does this mean in the standings? It means that Karlsruhe have lost four on the bounce. They stay in 10th position on the table. Kiel remain eighth, but more importantly, they are five points clear of Regensburg and that jumble of teams in that relegation fight, which we have mentioned before. Kiel did the business here and they they did it their way. It was quite impressive how they did it. Yes, they gave up shots, on goal, as you would expect from Karlsruhe, Karlsruhe are very good, but they won the midfield battle, and ultimately that was a big reason as to why they were able to win this game. Yeah, and I mean, um, the thing is, I, I really want to talk about about this game is development of each club. Mm. Um, for Kiel, when we come back to the Paderborn game, we really saw a development of the way of playing on who could step up. I mean, the focus was Radio and Skripsky, but the I think the key element here is that 
you have a number of different players that can step up. I mean, we talked about Reed um, towards the end of last season on what role he could play. Um, and I mean, it took a time, but he now scored again. Obviously, you have Fabian Reza as well. Um, so it doesn't need Steven Skripsky. Um, and I think this is probably one of the like keys uh, you can take away with that even in a game where Skripsky might miss, uh, that you that, that team emerged to be a team which can do without. I mean, they also they don't fall apart um, as quickly. At the same time, Karlsruhe, Christian Eichner said at the start of the season, when we concede, we fall apart. And when match day 15 and this still happens i mean it's unlucky how it started but still mm. i mean it it's not falling apart like conceding three goals in 20 minutes but still it's just from the outlook of the game karlsruhe was never close in winning this yeah. or even getting a point like it was clear to me that this rap goal didn't will not make a difference for them and I mean, although the fourth goal came in stoppage time, still he was very, very good in that game. This is once again why I say I'm really looking forward to that Hanover game. Um, because if Kiel plays like that and Hanover plays like against Darmstadt, even with 11 men, I see a lot of problems for Hanover coming their way. Um, and I mean, Kiel is one of the teams we... Both had a lot of question marks about. Still have question marks, not going to lie. But for Karlsruhe, I mean, this is the thing that can really probably give you a wrong impression. If you look at the table, you can see, okay, well, they're sitting in 10th. It means two points off the relegation spot. Like, this is not safe at all. And Christian Eichner said after the game that they can do better and they're not going to give up. But at the same time, where they stand in the table, it reflects on how they're playing. And I'm I'm not sure if he means that just in midfield or if he actually means close to relegation fight or in the relegation fight at this stage. And the thing I really have problems with with Karlsruhe that they... You you were when they win, it doesn't seem like this is going to be the new trend, but it's just going to be like one one close high, like like small highlight in a curve that really goes like on low more or less, um, and that's why development for Karlsruhe not to be seen in my opinion. It sounds very harsh, but I like for the amount of time Christian Eichner has been at the club. Like, I have problems seeing where he is going. And I mean, obviously, they had to rebuild after Philipp Hoffmann. But, like, you, if Schleusner doesn't work, this is like when we, for example, talk about Hansa Rostock and Kai Brüger, and a lot depends on him. It's the same with Karlsruhe. And, and because Gondorf was missing as well, you had two players like Schleusen was on the pitch, but he like he was very well in defending him, and that's nevertheless uh, Kiel even had a more offensive lineup for that game because it was Bartels instead of Sander. 
Mm. So there were like things you could tackle in this game because we've seen Kiel being unstable in the back, but Karlsruhe, in my opinion, did this way to less. And uh, that's, in my opinion, also on Christian Einer. I mean, we've seen the trend of managers who have bitten the dust this season, and we'll talk about, at the end of the program, another club that made a change. This was the thing we talked about. Nuremberg at the start of the season, St. Pauli, obviously they were heading into their third season. This was, I guess, this is Eichter's third full season as Karlsruhe manager. I just wonder if this is as far as he can take them as a squad. I know they've got new players and they're still trying to figure out who they're best with. I thought him playing Schleusner isolated didn't really work. He seems to work better with a second player alongside. I mean, there was Cueto was sometimes given chance to be a bit further forward, but didn't really work as well as if they've had Batmars or even Kaufman. Kaufman's not had the game time. Uh, he hasn't really been fit either. So, um, yeah, like massive two games for, for Karlsruhe as well because they've got Kaiserslautern away and then St. Pauli at, at home. And I suspect that if he can't get a win in either of those two games, it could be curtains. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, big games for them. Uh, Kiel, of course, got St. Pauli tonight. That's a World Feed game. They also got Hanover on the Friday night. That's also a World Feed game. So, again, check your local listings for that. Let's take our final break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about our final three games of Match Day 15 and take a look at our kick tip. One of the bigger games at the foot of the table featured Nuremberg and Magdeburg. Separated only by just a single point heading into the match day. Nuremberg were hoping to break their two consecutive draws and turn into a win. Whilst Magdeburg were hoping to make it two wins out of their last three. This was built up to be a fascinating encounter, but it kind of floundered a little bit. Majority of the action happened in the second half, and that is when the game really started to turn on its head. Magdeburg would take the lead on 57 minutes. A set piece from Barris Attic. Put into the mix, Pacini, Cristiano Pacini does really, really well as he beats Lino Templeman and he puts the ball past Christian Matania to give Magdeburg a 1-0 lead. We mentioned goalkeeping errors and this was probably the worst of the match day. Andy Muller has ball in possession, trying to play it back to Dominic Ryman. I will admit, as a goalkeeper, you'd love to see that ball to the feet and uh, Muller's pass had a bit of air on it. Ryman takes a heavy, heavy touch. And usually when you take a heavy touch, you either want to bring the ball to the side. Obviously, you're not inviting pressure from a counter-pressing. Um, and you definitely don't want to put the ball forward. But the one thing you also don't want to do is put the ball backwards and not know where your goal is. Ryman's heavy touch was so heavy that the ball trickled into the back of the net. And Nuremberg, who had done 10 eights of not much in this game, were gifted an equaliser. But it was all... Not for long, because 10 minutes after that, a penalty was eventually spotted. Barris Attic was fouled by Christopher Schindler, initially not given as a penalty. No, no, but the referee, Nicholas Winter, with the consultation of the video assistant referee, overturning the original decision, and a penalty was given, and Cristiano Pacini made it two on the day for him, three on the season for him, and three points for Magdeburg, who would take the win and move themselves up into 13th, lucky for some, not others. Nuremberg, 
now in 17th place. And, um, well, this game was a slow burn, and like the few other games in this in this uh, this group of matches. Um, but I, I don't know really where to start, because I thought Magdeborg did enough, maybe, to win. But, uh, boy, Nuremberg were awful. They're, they were bad. Like, it just... It, it doesn't matter who they play up top. It doesn't matter who's playing in midfield. They just lack so many solutions going forward. And, and we could have preempted this with the choice of coach they went with. And I know you've got to give it time. But yeah, this is a... It's almost a terminal um, error that they've got on their um, their part. They are, for reasons, one of the worst scoring teams in the league. They are still... Yep, still the worst with 13 goals this season. They never looked like scoring. And it's so funny to think that the only way they got the goal was because of one of the most bizarre errors I don't think I've seen in at least a while. So, yeah, they were bad. And, and it's fair to say uh, the winter is going to be quite cold in the south of Germany. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is really, it wasn't even close to a forced error. It was just an error, as you've mm. mentioned. Um, I mean, I saw this and it was like, it was draining energy from me just watching this. And I mean, obviously giving it time, but I mean, we talked with uh, Michelle Fisher about this, um, that it may be too early to say this, which uh, Franconia club picked the better coach. But as of now, it seems like Fürth at least has the bigger impact. Um, and, like, I mean, I said this before with Weinziel. I didn't really understand that. I mean, even, like, the typical, if you score a goal, you're going to, like, the, the game is over. What we saw in Augsburg, even this didn't happen. Um and obviously we can talk about that potential penalty that was overruled. I don't really understand why. Mm. For me, it's not a clear mistake not giving that penalty. Um, we've seen where this was given. I still think wouldn't have been checked and it was not given right away. Like, I was... A bit confused because I think you can give it. It, it would have been harsh, but yeah. But at the same time, this is not the reason why Nuremberg didn't win this game. Mm. Um, they gave up the goals too easy. They gave up the penalty too easy. Magdeburg looked always more comfortable. Um, and obviously with 5,000 fans mm. um, traveling to Nuremberg, which is, by the way, a very, very amazing number. Um, yeah. It's not good, to to say the least. And Nuremberg, just yeah. I mean, we have a couple of clubs that do worry us going into the winter break, and Nuremberg is definitely going to be one of them. Uh, they do not have an easy task coming up tomorrow evening because, and we're going to talk about them uh, soon because their next opponent just changed managers. Yeah. Uh, so it's always very, very difficult to for us to anticipate what is going to happen, obviously for, for Nuremberg as well. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be pretty or like 
I, I would expect that Rostock will focus on uh, defensive stability first and foremost. This is like especially if you have an English week, this is probably one of the things you want to focus on. Uh, but still, as of now, I do think Rostock, uh, if if Kai Brugge has a good day, they do look more comfortable winning this, and I think this says a lot about the Nuremberg. We're talking about not only this season, but I mean even last season as well. Yeah, I mean we. We've already said it multiple times this season. We said it last season. Their biggest problem is in the final third. Um, and this was the case again on the weekend, on Sunday. They were just bad. I, the, the penalty... And you're mentioning the Jens Kastrop situation. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen them... I think it's a case of we've seen them given and then we have seen them not given. So it was a... Genuine fifty-fifty. So, mm. I don't. I you know it maybe could have changed the outcome of the game. Who knows? As we saw, a couple of keepers made penalty saves. Whoever had taken it might have missed it. Who knows? That's that's kind of the uh, the game. But um, yeah, Magdeburg, just you know, good, very good. And the next two games, Darmstadt on Thursday night. And then they're at Bielefeld on Sunday. If they could take four points, or even three points, that'd be a really good end to the, um, you know, the, the the first half of the season. Um, two very tough games for uh, for Nuremberg. Obviously, they've got the six pointer against Rostock, and then they've got Paderborn on Sunday, which will be a world feed game. Um, so yeah, tough sledding ahead for both teams, but definitely you're feeling more comfortable about Magdeburg than you would be about Nuremberg at the moment. Speaking of teams that were on a good run, Eintracht Braunschweig entered this clash against Greutherford. Eight games unbeaten. But would that come to an end? The angry era under Alexander Zoniger started well. A 1-0 win at home against Armenia Bielefeld. But could they replicate that? In what was a very cagey game, and but even a tale of two halves at that. Fürth very good in the first half. Braunschweig better in the second half, but one goal would seal it, and what a goal it was! Another goal of the season contender, Armindo Sieb, with an outstanding bicycle kick just before half time, was the one and only goal in this game. And Fürth are perfect under Zorniger, and they move up to 14th um, with two games remaining in. The Hinrunda. Eva, this game was really not a lot to talk about because chances were sparse. This was more of a fouling match in my eyes than a football game because there were a lot of tackles that were, yeah, yeah, not clean. Um, But ultimately, it took a a piece of magic to, to, to break the deadlock and it didn't, you know, something that Furt haven't done for a long time is A, win two games in a row. But B, keep two clean sheets in a row. And C, went away from home. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but I but I have to say, I did think that Fürth looked like the more comfortable team in this. Um, I think really, Patrick, you could see as soon as Uja was out. I mean, the best shot probably came from Naton de Medina mm. in the second half. Um, 
I mean, this was also due to the fact that that food was too passive. I think this is something you can compare in both the Bielefeld game and here. Um, that after them taking the lead, a bit too, as mentioned, too passive, a bit too, let's give our opponents room. Uh, but similar to Bielefeld, Brancha couldn't really use that. Didn't look dangerous enough. Their the quality of chances they created weren't good, um. So in the end, it was a more or less comfortable win for Fürth. Although, like, they probably shouldn't do that against Hamburg. Like, if they score first, if like this is a big if, not to be mean, but like at this stage it is, um, they should not do that because Hamburg is a side who will definitely like. Okay, well, definitely to, let's say ninety percent use that, um. But but you can already see that they're like obvious I'm in the seat for for once, but also like it's just it, the parts of the formation look to work like they look more comfortable working together, um, and that they don't take like this is why I said last week they do not think they have to take every opportunity up front, but rather like focus on two three good moments then like every opportunity they get and then the quality gets better uh immediately in my opinion um and although i mean it weren't was only two shots on target but i mean they managed to score and i mean we had games where they had like 10 and they still lost one three to to kaiserslautern like um and I think this is something we can definitely build on. I mean, they have to. This is what we said last week as well. They have two very uh, difficult games coming up against Hamburg and in Darmstadt. Um, but I think they're that like with much more confidence than they would have gone like three weeks ago. Without question, I think the one thing that really impressed me late in the game, and this was this came very prevalent for Braunschweig, is they they counter-pressed really well and they forced Braunschweig to, to really struggle in transitioning the ball from defence to to the offensive thirds. Um, so I thought that was something they did really well and you can see that they, that Sorniger is slowly imprinting the, the angry style of football with the counter-pressing, that sort of Red Bull or that RB style. Um, you know, so definitely... The improvements there. The clean sheets are good because they couldn't defend to save themselves before that. Um, but yeah, they're putting themselves in good positions. But now the next two games will really get to we'll get to see how good they really are um, in this short spell so far under Zorniger. So yeah, progress is there. Uh, Braunschweig they're at Jan Regensburg on Wednesday, and then they've got Hansa at home in the Top Spieler on Saturday evening. And finally, let's make our move to Rostock. Hansa Rostock took on Sandhausen at the Ostis Stadion, just under 24,500. We're in attendance to see just the single goal. And that's all this game needed. And it came in the first half, the fourth minute of stoppage time. It was a Kinsombi masterclass. Christian Kinsombi leading the charge. He plays the ball to David. David finds Christian and he trickles the ball into the back of the net. That's your one and only goal in this game. It was a relatively even affair, but it did spell uh, end of the line for Jens Hartl. He was told to walk the plank. 
uh, and as he was pushed overboard um, and into the ocean. So Rostock will have a change of coach. I think they're going with an interim option for the last two games and then no, they've got to manage to do they? I haven't read to be honest. Yeah, so. they already it's um Glagner, he takes over. Okay. Um they announced it yesterday that he's going to be the new head coach. There we go. Uh I think he was in talks for Fürth and Stuttgart as well. Mm. I don't like if I remember I heard the name before, to say the least. There we go. There you have it. So I'll definitely have to put that in the notes for the next uh for the next podcast. So yeah, there was a bit of chatter about this. Uh, it was it came as a bit of a surprise, I guess, that you know Rostock was sitting in twelfth in the table. They had lost three of their last five games, and a lot of people questioning whether they um, they were right to make this move. I think from kind of a uh, a, a footballing perspective, it didn't seem like there'd been a lot of development players regressing. Uh, especially defensively, um, new signings not really working out. Um, you know, Sebastian Thiel, who's had injuries, not really offered a whole lot to be honest. And then you've got, um, you know, Kai Proger in in my eyes has been the only new signing that's really worked out for them. And I guess the uh, the heads Hansa thought that that's you know, even though they're not in a ultra bad position the squad could probably be doing a lot better and that's they make the change what was your impression over the Rostock situation because it does seem maybe a bit um shall we say quick on the trigger two games remaining until the winter break against two sides who are in the same situation as them it does seem maybe a bit quick but maybe there there was more going on in the background I'm not so sure well, uh, first of all, I think I was not that surprised as other people, um, just because I think I also read across what Rostock fans thought about this, um, and they what you kind of said as well, that, that they had the feeling that the full potential wasn't being shown. Um, I mean, the thing is, probably changed now because the next games are going to be against Nürnberg and Braunschweig. So very, very important games. And probably um, if you would have, like, you could also say, okay, we let those game two, two games for Harto. And if they lose, we can still regroup and reform um, in that, yeah, in, in, in the winter break. At the same time, like, what you hindered at, I do have the feeling as well, like this was kind of in place for a longer time as like the the period of time on how fast they found a new coach. It's always a bit like you you might wonder whether it could have been very or it didn't wouldn't have really mattered on how this this game against Stanthausen ended. But you have to say that it was not a good performance. Um, they, like, once again, you we only really look at Brugger and that team. Um, with with Ryan Malone, you have a player um, who we mainly talk about because, like, he gets sent off or makes mistakes. And once again, he had to be subbed off in this game uh, because he was very close to his second yellow. Um, and all in all, I think this adds up to... 
um, yeah, a lot of problems. And it's obvious always the first way if like the sporting director sees, okay, not the full potential or the coach has to go first. Um, also, like this sounds mean, but I'm also not a huge believer in uh, let's give him credit for what he's done so far. Um, this can be very dangerous as well. Because um, if you keep saying that and at some time, then the focus is always on the players. And if then the players are, well, I mean, a uh, way of playing doesn't really work for us. We have the feeling because he just says it worked in the past, so it's going to work here again. Uh, that can be a very dangerous feeling and statement to give. Um, and also because there were obviously two players uh, suspended. One of them is uh, Rich Munzi. Um, might see him back. It's also if you have so many problems up front, um, probably not the best idea to suspend one of your offensive players. Mm. Uh, we don't really know what happened there, but we will we will see if Glackner will change that. Um, I've seen a couple of uh, yeah, he, an analysis of how he likes to play. Does look like it could fit Rostock. Um, we we'll probably will see more. Like the Nuremberg and Braunschweig game, I think it's difficult to then already really uh, take into account what he could do. Because as mentioned, obviously, um, I like those are two do or die games more or less. So that's probably not where you could see the full potential. But um, yeah, we will definitely look at this. Uh, with with the start of 2023. Yeah, absolutely. I decided that, you know, because I didn't know much about Patrick Gluckner as a manager. Let's go into his detail. Recently at Waldorf Mannheim, two seasons with them in the Dritter Liga, had them in eighth and fifth, which is pretty good, but was let go into the season. Um, so his record in the lower leagues is solid, um, with Victoria Köln, he helped them go up, um, gain first place in the regular Liga Vest. Um, he was at Chemnitz when they got relegated, so or before they got relegated. So he's got a good record at the lower leagues. Um, so we'll see how he his uh how he goes. Obviously, we won't judge on his first two performances, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, we'll go to a kick tip. Nuda Hasfal leads on 159 points, but the pack has closed in. Atlanta United, not the football club, but the username, topped the scores with 15 kudos to you. And that's our show. We'll be back on, I believe it's Friday, at the end of Match Day 16, because it is an English week. Um, and we'll discuss all the action from Match Day 6. So I guess we'll see you in three days' time once the weekend of football weekend week the week midweek of football concludes uh, that's probably a good reason for us to say goodbye until then we'll see you